Cocktail College is brought to you today by Tanqueray. Make a spectacular something out of almost anything. Let a Tanqueray cocktail elevate your moment from, oh, nothing fancy, into damn fancy. When sipping a Tanqueray Martini Negroni or whatever your favorite cocktail is, you can't help but feel damn fancy. It's no mistake the iconic green bottle is shaped like a cocktail shaker because Tanqueray elevates cocktails to create a unique and memorable experience. Head to www.tanqueray.com today to get damn fancy cocktail inspiration from Tanqueray. Hey, this is Tim McCurdy and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Saturn, the planet, is the second largest in our solar system, the sixth in order from the sun, and widely recognized for its famous rings, 146 moons, and four flyby exploration missions to date. It is also, fun fact here, the furthest planet from Earth discovered by the unaided human eye, all the way back in 700 BCE. The Saturn cocktail, on the other hand, wow. That's another story entirely. We're in the tiki realm, but shaking or blending things up with gin instead of rum, along with trusty stalwarts for the category, Orjat and Falernum. As is so often the case, Jeff Beachbum Berry has a role to play in the drink's modern standing, but we're not looking to Trader Vic or Don the Beachcomber for its origins. All of which makes the Saturn something of an outlier in the tiki category, as our guest joins us to explain. That individual is Ray Sackover, the co-owner of New York City's recently opened Paradise Lost. Ray brings over a decade of experience to the show today and has worked under and alongside many fine industry pros, including friends of the show, Brian Miller and Garrett Richard. It's ring garnishes, thrift store glassware, and the potent tart punch of passion fruit puree. And it's all right here, listener on the Cocktail College Podcast. We're in the Cocktail College studio, and let me tell you, listener, let me get you behind the scenes here. This is the first recording of 2024, second episode of the year. I'm super excited, and we got Ray Sackover in the house. Ray, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. It's exciting to kick off the year with, uh, you know, another recording here. Well, I say kick off the year. We're in the second week. But anyway, the good thing or the surprising thing for me, knowing you were coming in, knowing your background, knowing, knowing your style of cocktails, I was half expecting, all right, I knew what we were going to talk about. But before I knew what we were going to talk about, I thought we were going to come in today and I would need to have my rum hat on because you're a, you're a tiki tropical drinks focused guy. And I figured that's where mm-hmm. we'd be going. And I always enjoy doing that. But no, it's gin, which is very much in my wheelhouse. Tell me about the Saturn. Yeah, so the Saturn is a uh, gin tiki tropical drink uh, coming from the 60s. Uh, It was made by uh, J. Popo Galsini uh, for the 1967 IBA uh, cocktail competition. It's essentially a sour or a daisy, depending on who you're talking to, um, at its essence, um, and is comprised of gin. Uh, you have falernum, orgeat, passion fruit, and citrus, lemon. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people use lime. Uh, classically, we used lemon. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It is, I think, next to the Singapore Sling, likely the most popular tiki drink uh, or tiki gin cocktail uh, out there. I would say that gin in general, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this cocktail, doesn't get the love that it deserves uh, in the tiki tropical canon. Mm -hmm. And it's such a great spirit to use in these cocktails considering um, gin itself is just an infusion of botanicals and a lot of which uh, pair really well with the ingredients that go along in tiki drinks such as falernum, such Mm -hmm. as orgeat, and citrus. Um, So it's, I think, no surprise that this cocktail is such a uh, uh, for lack of a better word, banger, <laughs> um, as, totally. as, the, as the kids are calling it these days. Um, uh, and, um, you know, I, I, it's one of my favorite uh, tiki tropical drinks and generally one of my favorite drinks of all time. I think that's a great distinction as well, like, you know, calling it a tiki tropical drink, but also... If you're running a bar that's not focused on those style of drinks, the chances that you have Orgeat on hand are probably, you know, decent, but Falernum maybe less so, right? Unless you're, you know, that's the style of cocktails you're focusing on. Mm-hmm. But just as a pure gin drink, you mentioned daisies earlier, right? So if we compare this to a White Lady, which is a fine cocktail, which we've covered here before, but... Mm-hmm kind of boring in its composition or in its flavor profile, right? There's only a few ways you can really take it. You're really dialing in on balance of acidity and sweetness and gin. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, we're adding some of those ingredients that not only bring sweetness or whatnot, but also bring flavor as well, which to me very much feels like the essence of tiki and tropical drinks, right? Where you're not just adding sweetness, you are adding an extra profile to it. It's, it's, it's the difference between using uh, cane sugar, right, and, yeah. and, and a standard one-to-one simple syrup or whatever. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think tiki in general is getting the, the respect or, you know, the, this, this cocktail genre is getting the respect it deserves these days because people are understanding that these are complex craft cocktails uh, that you know, have a lot of dimension. Um, you know, they, they're not just, uh, a punch, of you know, a bunch of fruit juices and rum. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there is intention behind these cocktails. And, you know, if you look at the Saturn, uh, it, it essentially has all of the, uh, usual suspects that you find in a lot of tiki drinks. It's not too dissimilar to something, say like maybe a, a Cobra's Fang, for example, uh, uh, add the orgeat, swap out the uh, rum for gin, and you know this is this is what you get. Uh, but um, you know, I think that uh, going back to uh, talking about gin in this particular instance, I think you know it, there are a handful, more than a handful of cocktails out there that do use gin in the tiki genre, and it's not unheard of. There is a, a Polynesian spell comes to mind. Um, which is a gin drink with uh, peach and you got uh, grape, grape juice, uh, lemon. Um, I think with gin cocktails, um, uh, with tiki gin cocktails, you got other than, you know, I mentioned the the Singapore sling uh, is probably the most popular tropical uh, drink of its time and next to it is the Saturn. But um, uh, there are plenty of other uh, gin drinks in the Tiki canon, uh, uh, including the Awoha Gin Sling uh, by Thomas Mario, who was a drink editor for Playboy. Uh, you have the Polynesian Spell, which was gin, peach, uh, curacao, and lemon and grape juice. 
Um, then you have all these other cocktails that uh, were popularized by behemoths like like Don the Beachcomber and, mm-hmm. and Joe Shalom uh, and uh, maybe more Trader Vic and Joe Shalom. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got the Fog Cutter. Uh, you got the the all the bastards by. Uh, by Joe Shalom, uh, <laughs> the the dying bastard, the the suffering bastard, um, those poor bastards, yeah, the dead bastard, <laughs> those poor bastards. Um, but all these, uh, you know, feature gin as uh, you know split base that complement all the other flavors in those drinks, um, uh, pairing well with brandy, mm-hmm. uh, with rum, sometimes with whiskey. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned, of course, you know, we'll dive into the history a little bit more, but you mentioned, you know, this is not a Don the Beachcomber drink, which as so many of the most well-known ones are within Tiki, the Tiki mm-hmm. field. But I think it's good to just think about some of his drinks for a second. I mean, we don't need to dwell on them for too long, but just this whole idea of, you mentioned gin being this spirit that is 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 basically a composition of the different things that, that the producer wants to infuse into that spirit, right? Mm-hmm. A recipe that they're bringing together. It's not like rum where you are are relying upon the quality of a base product. You're fermenting, you're distilling, and you're putting it into oak and you're seeing what happens, right? Mm -hmm. Gin, you can have a lot more control over where you're going and what you want the final flavor profile to be. We've seen that a lot more in recent years with new Western styles and we're going to get into gin. Mm -hmm. But I think it's interesting to think about that and how much it does align with those Dawn drinks, right? Where you're talking about Dawn's mix, where where you're talking about like making a, you know, a, I don't know, a toasted cinnamon syrup that you're then going to add fruit juice to and stuff mm-hmm. like that, right? Like that purposeful infusion or building of ingredients, like that does align a lot more with gin than we might think when we just immediately think of what is tiki or tropical drinks, right? Yeah. Where we just think about like rum and then you experiment on the other side of things or like allspice dram is another ingredient, right? Where, yeah. you know, we're bringing a lot of ingredients in here. So maybe it's not the first base spirit that people think of when they think about this category of drinks, but maybe, I I don't know, am I wrong? There's a a lot more like overlap of just the thinking and philosophy and approach. I I think that, of course, rum is largely associated with tiki for obvious reasons. Um, uh, And I I think that when people think of tiki drinks, they they automatically go to rum. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's, there, there are so many great cocktails out there that aren't rum based that are in the tiki canon. Um, uh, that, uh, you know, are, are beautiful cocktails and do, uh, as, uh, these drinks are wont to do, uh, uh, take you away as like sort of a, a form of, uh, consumable escapism, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and give you that same, uh, uh, feel that you get from, uh, these classic Don the Beachcomber Trader Vic cocktails mm-hmm. that do use rum. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... Uh, uh, when I was thinking about this cocktail, when I think about this cocktail, I think the Saturn is for gin what the Mai Tai is for rum. And it's, it's beautiful in it's, it's balance in, in it's composition. It's simple. And, uh, it's insane to think that it was almost completely lost to history. Well, tell us about that. That's a that's a lovely segue right there for us to move into, put our historical hats on. You mentioned that this is a drink that uh, created for a competition, which is fascinating because oftentimes 
the drinks that competitions have given us throughout the years are maybe not that desirable. Thinking about the Long Island iced tea, mm-hmm. among others, or sex on the beach. You know, those stories are out there. They've yeah. been covered. This is very much not that. But tell us about, yeah, the genesis of this drink, the players involved. And um, yeah, maybe is that, again, one of these drinks that might have been lost to time? We do have some certain stakeholders in the tiki space as well who have done a very good job of rediscovering things. So tell us, um, yeah, tell us the story of the Saturn. Yeah, so uh, the Saturn is uh, an original cocktail by a Filipino uh, bartender named Joseph Galsini, a.k.a. Uh, J. Popo Galsini, as he's most popularly known. And he uh, was a, a, a California bartender in throughout the middle of the century uh, and throughout the golden age of tiki. Uh, he worked at a lot of, of the... Tiki temples of yore, if you will, uh, faux Polynesian restaurants like the Outrigger in Laguna. Um, uh, he also worked at uh, Kelbo's in L.A., which was uh, a a pretty um, sophisticated and well-known bar uh, restaurant for its time uh, in that genre. And uh, he uh, was also, from what I read about him, uh, there's a great article that David Wondrich wrote uh, in the Daily Beast, came out a few years ago, uh, that sort of chronicles his life, uh, where I got a lot of my information from. And he uh, uh, was very competitive. He loved his competitions. And he was a part of uh, the California Bartenders Guild. And um, he would often compete in uh, competitions uh, in California and around the world. And so, uh, this cocktail, particularly, uh, he uh, was going to submit for the International Bartenders Association cocktail competition in 1967. Uh, he developed this sometime in 1966. Um, uh, maybe he developed it for this competition, but a- either way, it ended up in this competition. That's important uh, later, as we'll see. But um, the uh, cocktail was originally called the X-15. Uh and the X-15 was, and I believe uh, uh, still is to this day, the fastest man-piloted uh, rocket or um, uh, plane <laughs> uh, jet. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> it was the fastest uh, uh, jet ever uh, uh, in history. It was like a supersonic jet. Oh, wow. Unfortunately, uh, right before he submitted this to the cocktail competition, it... Uh, crashed or uh, exploded in air right after takeoff mm-hmm. uh, and in a fatal accident. Uh, of course, he's not going to name this cocktail no. after that. Um, and it was, you know, it was widely publicized. This happened yeah. in California. So uh, he uh, decided to change the name to a new rocket uh, that was for the Apollo space program called the Saturn V. Uh, and uh, that's how it became uh, named the Saturn. Uh, the Original build, um, he used gin. Uh, he, uh, from what I read, uh, he used Seagram's gin. Uh, he did falernum, uh, orgeat, uh, a, a passion fruit syrup, and lemon. And uh, I think for a competition, I mean, I was looking at some of the the his competitors, and mm-hmm. I think the winning cocktail that year. This cocktail didn't win, by the way. Interesting. Uh, it was a uh, a finalist. Uh, he was a finalist, uh, but the cocktail that that won ended up being like 
uh, something like bourbon and cherry herring. And, but it was like very basic, yeah. simple sort of riff <laughs> on an old fashioned. Mm-hmm. I had also read that there there's a lot of uh, within the Bartenders Guild and within those competitions, there was a lot of, uh, you know, favoritism and possibly... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, nepotism or, you the, know, uh, the, the more things change. Yeah. Right. More, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, you look at that cocktail and you're like, wow, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for, for that time, um, you know, in, in my mind, that's, uh, you know, cutting edge yeah. stuff right there. We might be having to take a, a, a fairly educated guess here or completely uneducated, who knows, but um, obviously, you know, Jay Popo's experience, the bars that he'd worked at would have familiarized himself a lot with these ingredients, orgeat, right, fuller and things mm-hmm. like that. Passion fruit, again, is an ingredient. I'm not sure how common that was in the 60s, but in terms of those IBA judges, like, I wonder how familiar they would have been with a Falernum and an Orjat, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and those compositions together versus something like you said that's a lot more pared back and it's yeah. it's bourbon and cherry hearing and if you find the balance and you strike the balance then yeah, they can wrap their head around that a lot more because, again, it was Tiki's a culture but Tiki's a, a subculture that again, I, I don't know if we have any info on who was judging this, but I, yeah. I'm curious to to wonder how common those ingredients would have been. Yeah, I you know as far as as the judges are concerned, I don't know to them. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, needless to say, I mean he did place and and uh, mm-hmm. you know he was recognized. It didn't win. Uh, he had won competitions before. He is award winning. He was an award-winning bartender and a very serious bartender. That bartended, I guess, almost 60 years before he died. Oh, wow. Um, the uh, interesting thing going back to why this is important is that there was a souvenir glass that was made of this cocktail. Um, and fast forward almost 30 years uh, to a vintage or uh, a uh, antique shop in Ocean Beach, California in, in San Diego uh, you have Jeff Barry, Jeff the Beach Bum Barry, <laughs> cocktail historian, author, owner of Latitude 29 in New Orleans, who found this glass. And uh, this glass had the Saturn, it had just the ingredients, not the recipe, and it had uh, J. Popo Galsini uh, emblazoned on it. And so he had all that information. Uh, he didn't buy the glass, apparently. He just took a photo. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and wow. and it's crazy to think, too, because, uh, I don't know, sometimes, you know, at that time, there wasn't no digital, yeah. you know, uh, so he could have lost the photo, you know, I don't know. <laughs> um, but that's how he discovered it. Uh, and, and moreover, that's how uh, uh, in uh, the modern cocktail age, we have come to be familiar with this. Like so many of the great uh, uh, tiki cocktails of yore. Uh, most popularly the uh, 1934 Zombie, uh, these cocktails would have been lost forever if it wasn't for the the work and efforts and and sometimes dumb luck in this case of right of Jeff Barry. the uh, The cocktail wasn't published uh, until 2005 in his uh, Taboo Table uh, book, and now it's you know little less than 20 years later. Uh, we're we're talking about this here on a podcast, yeah. and um, uh, you know, again, who knows? This could have been lost to history, and we wouldn't be here talking about this. I would probably be talking about Pearl Diver or something. <laughs> uh, but uh, another, you know, beachcomber rum drink. But um, 
you know, it's it's a fun history to think that this cocktail probably wasn't that popular at the time. Um, maybe in some circles and maybe in the restaurants, because uh, I, I had read that uh, in Kelbo's and the Outrigger, uh, Outrigger, he was the head bartender. So most of those cocktails were his. Yeah. You know, um, and, and he was the author of a lot of great cocktails. Uh, but this is the one that is carrying his legend. Um, and I would say very, very well. Mm-hmm. What a, I don't know, what a great story that is. And the, the serendipity there of just, you know, Jeff being in that store and finding that glass, which, you know, it, this composition otherwise being lost to history. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I imagine that when he came across the ingredients, like someone has experienced as himself yeah. as well, it doesn't take too much to to try and figure out where you find the balance. And we're going to, yeah. we're going to get into that shortly. Right. So like, well, he, he ended up getting the recipe from uh, another Filipino bartender at that time who uh, was um, he worked for Steve Crane at Con- Contiki, and he was also friends with uh, Jay Popo Galsini. Uh, so he actually had the recipe that he was able to get. Oh, wow. Nice. You know, so a little further digging, and he was able to find out, but he wouldn't have known to ask mm-hmm. about this cocktail if it were not for that glass. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, such a great story, especially as well, too, that this, you know, again, not being, and nothing against rum, but not being just another rum, great rum drink in the realm, but like an outlier, a true outlier of sorts with, with the gin as the base spirit. Moving on to kind of, you know, if Jeff hadn't had that information or yourself when you're preparing one or if you order one, where does the balance in this drink lie? What are you looking to taste kind of first and foremost? Or are we looking at a situation where everything can kind of play in harmony, right? Like, what are you looking for from a, a really well-executed version of this drink? Uh, yeah, I I like to borrow a coffee term looking for clarity of flavor. I... I think the 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 easy answer and the most cliche answer is saying I'm I'm looking for balance, mm-hmm. you know, and that's easy to say. But uh, what does that mean? Um, uh, I think you know balance between the strong, uh, the the sweet and the sour, uh, uh, balance between the aromatics, balance in having uh, the perfect uh, sort of mouthfeel and body, which is a really important aspect to cocktails that I think sometimes is overlooked. Um, yeah, for sure. And um, and it's something I'm always looking for when I I, I have a good cocktail. Um, I want it to have staying power, uh, especially if it's a cocktail that comes on on crushed or pebble ice as this one does. Um, I I want it to last. I want it to uh, uh, not die. Uh, you know, after a few sips, um, I, I want to be able to sit with this and really mm-hmm. really enjoy it. And um, and as I enjoy it. Um, uh, taste how it changes with uh, the subtle dilution. Mm-hmm. Um, this particular cocktail, uh, I, I essentially am looking for uh, balance how the citrus plays with the nuttiness of the orgeat um, and the falernum, uh, how the botanicals of the gin play with the botanicals and the falernum, uh, also how the gin plays with the citrus. Uh, gin and citrus are a dynamic duo or you know they they play very well together, mm-hmm. and um, I think that uh, when you throw something like passion fruit in there, you're adding a little uh, uh, je ne sais quoi, or mm-hmm. um, you know you're 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 adding 
actually, I take that back. Not je ne sais quoi. I know exactly what it is. It's a wild card, right? Yeah. You you want something that's just gonna like sort of stand out, and it's the standout ingredient uh, that adds like this tartness and freshness that kind of uh, helps. It cuts through the other ingredients, but also it's like. Um, uh, it's like it's like the dude uh, from The Big Lebowski. It's like the rug. <laughs> the rug tied the room together, yeah, man. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that tartness, speaking about all the components, the traditional components of a, of a balanced drink, right? You, you mentioned so many of them there. You know, there's going to be the strength of the alcohol. But mm-hmm. basically, a lot of the time we think of it in terms of the relationship between sweetness and sour or you know, exactly, right? Bricks in a city mm-hmm. and how they come together. There's very easy or very common ingredients that we can use to bring those things, to up them, to tweak them. Mm -hmm. We don't oftentimes think about tart as a flavor profile and introducing that for balance. So I love that idea of it, it bringing everything together, but also it being that kind of like wild card or outlier in the drink that adds something else that... Again, I, I don't know. I've not been a bartender professionally, and I very rarely, if ever, come up with my own drinks. Mm -hmm. Why would I need to? There's so many great ones out there, but... How often does that occur to you when you're coming up with a cocktail to be like, okay, we have the booze, we have the mouthfeel, the texture, the sweetness is there, sour is there. What about tart? Am I introducing that? Like that doesn't feel like it would be a natural instinct or it's something that you maybe have to develop as a bartender to mm-hmm. be thinking about those things when you're when you're coming up with drinks. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it all depends on the drink, really. And I, I think in this case, uh, it works very well considering the ingredients in this cocktail. Uh, I think that that passion fruit plays so well, just like citrus plays well with gin. Uh, passion fruit plays very well with with the gin. Um, and uh, how I approach and how we approach cocktails at Paradise Lost is uh, when we're building a cocktail, whether it is uh, our own signature drinks or we're riffing on a classic or uh, sort of making a classic our own, uh, like we have with the Saturn on our menu, um, I, you know, you always want a sort of hook. Um, and I think in uh, J. Pablo Gossini's case, this this was sort of uh, the hook. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, see I, the passion fruit there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You know, but also as as seen before, uh, it was it, that that combination of ingredients, the falernum and the uh, the passion fruit have uh, uh, played uh, well together historically, in, historically yeah. in other drinks, such mm-hmm. as the Cobra's Fang, mm-hmm. um, is the one that keeps coming to mind. <laughs> and and again, you know, I mean, we're we're going to cover. Maybe we'll dive into passion fruit in a second. Typically, we we kick off with the base spirit, but maybe we can do that. But something hearing you describe it makes me think about another aspect that this brings to the drink, which is fruit, because mm-hmm. obviously. Lemon is fruit, but it's citrus, and we're really turning to it. Yeah, you get some flavor there, but we're really turning to it for acidity. Mm-hmm. And what are your other options normally? Well, if you go for a classic fruit juice, like an orange or, you know, like a grapefruit or something, right? It can be either kind of too sweet or kind of flabby, not acidic enough, or, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's going to mess with the balance of everything. But here it feels like we're getting that dual kind of um, advantage of having fruitiness fruit flavor but also not 
being sweet or sour it's in the middle it's that tartness so yeah. it feels like a really good like you say yeah this is probably the the hook there or the calling card beyond the gin yeah what is your approach there for or can you talk us through the the classical approach to you know what jay popo galsini would have done and or uh and then what you guys would be doing now in terms of you know where we're light years ahead in certain things and maybe behind in others who knows but what would be your approach and what's the traditional approach there sure uh Jay Popo Gossini, from what I read, used, uh, he used Seagram's, uh, he used a London dry gin. Mm-hmm. And I think a London dry gin works very well in this cocktail because you have, you have the pininess, you have the, um, from the juniper, you have, uh, the citrus, uh, from the lemon peel. Um, and I, I look at to a London dry gin for this cocktail, uh, just in general, uh, because of those two things that pair very well with all the other ingredients. Um, I think also just based on the availability of uh, uh, of that time, uh, yeah. I think London dry gins in the 50s and the 60s were quite more common than, say, uh, you know, Perry's Tot Navy yeah. Strength Gin um, uh, or... Um, yeah, uh, like you know, basic- perhaps perhaps more ubiquitous and and available than something like uh, an old Tom gin. Right, like basically what you know back in that time, what are our options? London mm-hmm. Dry for sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe Plymouth makes its way over here. I'm not too sure, but maybe yeah. that's slightly more citrusy, just a little bit, right? Yeah. But then otherwise, yeah, maybe some Navy Strength or or old Tom. But beyond that, really, like that's those are your options, right? Yeah. It's not like today where. Yeah. I mean, we can just go wild with, with you know, gin choices. Um, so that makes sense. And probably worth noting, too, that I think, like, and this is nothing nothing to say against Seagram's now, but, uh, you know, Seagram's was a massive, massive liquor corporation in America at the time. And yeah. uh, probably the gin might have been uh, maybe a little bit more expensive back then or might have been of a slightly different quality to the yeah. Seagram's that you come across today, yeah. right? Um, that brand had a different meaning i think yeah at that point um the the proof is really important too uh i believe uh i mean i i think most gins at that time uh hovered around uh between 43 to 47 percent uh i know i i think even now seagram's is around 47 percent um and i imagine it probably was uh then and uh and so that helps that pushes up a lot of the flavor that gives a little bit more the cocktail a little bit more of a uh, backbone creates more body, mm-hmm. uh, so I think that is important uh, uh, to keep in mind uh, when uh, uh, approaching which gin that you want to play to this cocktail. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know if uh, something like forty percent uh, would uh, really do the job. Mm-hmm. Beefier these days, they've gone down again. I was just gonna say, <laughs> I, I I noticed that a couple weeks ago. Somebody brought that to my attention. Very disappointing. We uh, we published an article here at Vine Pair um, about that. You know, it's something that's come up on the show a lot actually over the years. We base, we launched this show during the pandemic, and mm-hmm. and obviously we went from forty seven to forty four then. And on reflection, you know, maybe we saw that as a bigger deal than it was. Now looking at it in terms of going from forty four down to forty, which feels like a significant drop. I haven't tried the forty percent stuff. I will say, and this is a sidebar, but I will say I am going around my neighborhood currently and I'm picking up yep. 1.75 liter bottles of 44% beef eater, which Do again, <laughs> I'm getting, I'm picking those up for like 40 bucks. So yeah. I am going to be stocked for a while. Mm-hmm. I got through one over the <laughs> Christmas period, but uh, folks, as long as you stay out of 
the Sunnyside, Long Island City area with your own searching, I encourage you to do the same because that's my patch. <laughs> Don't tread on Tim's territory. <laughs> Not to give away too much about where you might find me there. But uh, there we go. Yeah. So what about yourself, though, Ray, when it comes to this one specifically? I, I like that pointing out about uh, the assertiveness of a gin when it comes to ABV and strength. But um, what's your approach here? Do you have a prepared bottle? Do you have a preferred approach? I am not modest when it comes to any of my ingredients I like to use in my cocktails. I am very much of the camp, more is more. Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to uh, uh, the ingredients we're using, when it comes to uh, the garnish, I believe that, um, uh, you know, there there are times to, for uh, to be austere with your cocktails, and sometimes simplicity is great, mm -hmm. um, but I like to take the approach uh, of um, what one gin can't do, three <laughs> gins can, as 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 that famous saying goes, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> A lot of inspiration there from uh, from no, uh, exactly from. Well, I was going to say the tiki realm, but also um, friend of the show and 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 someone who I know you've worked with as well, Mr. Brian Miller. Yeah, yeah, drew a lot of inspiration from his uh, double barrel Winchester. Uh, which is essentially a gin zombie, uh, where he takes four gins and blends them to great effect. Um, and uh, I use a couple of, of, of the same styles of gin uh, that he used in there that play very well together. So, uh, you know, adding a little bit more dimension with uh, uh, the various gins. And uh, let's talk about gin as a category. These days, it's so versatile in so many ways sure the one ingredient you have to have always in gin is juniper berry but other than that sky's the limit mm -hmm. there are so many great gins out there on the market these days from american style gins to uh, uh london style uh to world gins coming out of yeah. all sorts of places africa yeah. uh, uh israel there's so many good gins out there um and uh i i think to limit yourself to just you know Seagram's Beefeater, mm -hmm. Plymouth, um, Tanqueray, Tanqueray, Fords, yeah, the, uh, yeah, you know the classics, yeah. Which uh, again, maybe if you're making a martini, I get it. You find your you find your martini gin, and yeah. maybe you don't want to. Yeah, maybe you don't want to go for the three for one approach there mm -hmm. on that cocktail where there's you know where there's so little room for error, especially when it comes to your own uh, you know your own preference of that drink, right. But then, yeah, when we're talking about something here, especially when you're matching it up against those other ingredients, mm -hmm. like embrace those crazy botanicals. Yeah. Embrace yeah. the, yeah. Yeah, so um, to, to cut to it, what we use uh, at, at Paradise Lost is uh, we take a blend of three, three gins and uh, we use uh, the first gin, Perry's Tot, uh, which is a uh, overproof gin at 57%. Uh, ABV made locally in Brooklyn mm -hmm. at New York Distilling Company, and uh, this gin is great in that uh, one. It does bring a lot of body, a lot of backbone. Uh, the proof, the proof is the the obvious thing here. This is actually the majority of our build. We use we have a larger build for this cocktail than what is traditional. Uh, so nice. we do um, an ounce and a quarter of alone of the the Perry's Tot. <laughs> Which I think in the original recipe, he only used total an ounce and a quarter of gin. Wow. So uh, that's just a portion. Uh, that's a little more than half of the build of uh, the half of the, the gin build. And uh, 
Perry's Todd is great. It's, it, you know, it's got the juniper berry. Uh, it's got lots of citrus and cinnamon come to the forefront. Um, uh, you know, it's not huge. It's underlying. But I think those botanicals really play great um, with uh, with the flanum, with uh, the orgeat. Uh, Especially that cinnamon, I bet. Like, yeah. I bet that, that just really makes it pop. Yeah, and in general, it makes it a great, uh, for all intents and purposes, a, a tiki tropical uh, gin, which mm-hmm. is why uh, Brian Miller used it in the Double Barrel Winchester. That makes um, sense. Uh, played very well with, with uh, the the ginger uh, and the uh, the St. Germain in that cocktail. Mm. And um, the uh, second gin uh, that we use is another sort of local gin, comes from New York State, Bimini. Mm. If you're not familiar, I am. Yeah, um, whereabouts in New York State is that from? Uh, upstate somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's I'd, fair. I I I forget. I was going to um, place it in Maine for some reason, but that might be a completely I, I, different one. I could be wrong. No, maybe, no, no, no. Maybe, I'm, I'm maybe making it's that very up, close by. It's definitely a North American, and and certainly from the Northeast somewhere here for sure. But know. yeah, yeah. So like in terms of style, we have uh, the Perry's Tots more uh, like a London uh, dry. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, gin here. It's taking that place, right? And then the Bimini uh, is a, an American gin. And uh, the main botanicals in there are hops and grapefruit that really, really shine. Uh, the, the hops uh, adds a little bit of uh, floralness to the cocktail um, and, and uh, a little slight bitterness. Uh, also combined with the grapefruit, there's kind of a... Um, Kind of a weed thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, it's in the same family as cannabis. Yeah, uh, exactly. Terpenes, man. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Uh, and then uh, our our final gin uh, that we use is Heyman's Old Tom. And that is purely for for body, really. Uh, it's it's lush, um, it's creamy, uh, and uh, it it I think... Uh, that kind of holds up its end of the bargain in this blend, uh, sort of complementing the other two gins uh, and and really creating the kind of mouthfeel that we want in this mm-hmm. cocktail. Mm-hmm. I mean, you speak about there that the, you know, the Perry's taut and then the hops in the Bimini would, you know, be remiss of us not to also mention that I think that New York Distilling Company, they have that wonderful Chief Gowanus gin as well, which I think is, oh, yeah. uh, is a hop-infused... I'll be honest, I've never really known what to do with it. I've always enjoyed drinking it and been fascinated with it as a product. Uh, I'd love to maybe try that in this as well. I feel like there might be some there. But that almost, I forget about the Bimini, but that Chief Gowanus has a color almost as if it's seen some oak. I don't think it has. I forget. Yeah, Um, maybe it's the color of botanicals. Yeah, maybe it's that. But um, yeah, hops in gin, something I want to be drinking more of, I think, in 2024. I'm here for it. Um, all right then, passion fruit, because we said this is, you know, beyond gin's probably the first thing you mentioned about this drink, and then mm-hmm. it's passion fruit. So what's your approach there? It's definitely an ingredient that is, uh, I would imagine it's tricky to navigate anywhere, maybe less so in New York City, but yeah. if you get out of the city. So what's the what's the best approach here? So Jay Popo probably used, it says in his recipe, he used a passion fruit syrup possibly Trader Vic's passion fruits. I have no idea. Maybe he made his own. Uh, maybe he uh, uh, juiced fresh passion fruit and, um, and, and, and made a syrup out of it. I, uh, I like to use, we like to use 
uh, because passion fruit, we're in New York, passion fruit isn't always available. And uh, when it is, um, it's not the easiest thing to to juice and, and get a lot of yield from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, to have consistency as well, we use boyron. Um, boyron uh, is a frozen uh, passion fruit uh, puree that is pretty easy to find in a place like New York City. Um, if you have, uh, you know, if you live in a town where you have a place like Clouse Gins nearby mm-hmm. or other uh, markets, you could uh, uh, find this product. Uh, you could also order it online. Perfect Puree is another one. Uh, those I could use pretty interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if you can't find those, I have reached for, and this you could find almost in any grocery in New York City, Goya, uh, passion fruit. Uh, I, I think it's called pulp, but it's essentially the same thing. It's essentially a puree. But tinned, canned? Uh, no, no, no. It comes in a little plastic uh, oh, uh, wow. sleeve, like sealed, like flat sleeve, and you could usually find it in your frozen section. It's at your in local the frozen, grocery. okay, nice. I haven't searched for it in other states, but I, I pretty much am able to find it anywhere uh, in New York City uh, in, in most any grocery store. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't use the syrup. I use just the straight passion fruit. And um, in our build, uh, so going back to the gin, our gin build is is two and a quarter, uh, one and a quarter of the Perry's Tot. We have half and half of the Bimini and the Haymans. And then with the passion fruit, uh, we do uh, uh, just a quarter. Just a quarter there, mm-hmm. yeah. A little goes a long way with mm-hmm. that ingredient. Yeah, you don't need much. Mm-hmm. You don't need much. It adds in on that little, little pop of uh, brightness and tropical fruit. Um, and just, you know, the, the slight amount of, of tartness that you really want. Nice. Next ingredient I have down here, orgeat. I guess the first question, the, the, the most important question we ask folks at this point is, are you bothering to make your own? Is the juice worth the squeeze, so to say? Mm. Or um, are you maybe reaching for a product from a man like Tiki Adam or, you know, the, some of the wonderful orgeats that are, are out there and available? So Tiki Adam, Adam Colasar, uh, who owns Orgeat Works Limited um, in Brooklyn, makes a fantastic product. Uh, and uh, uh, love the guy, a good friend of mine. When he talks about his product, he's like, hey, man, you know, like bartenders, just focus on on making the drinks. Let 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 the pro handle the orgeat. Mm-hmm. And he really, he, he makes the best orgeat I've ever had. Uh, hands down, bar none, the best. Um, I, I, if if he ever decides to stop making it, I don't know what we'll do. I guess we'll just have to make it our own. Um, but it, it's you know it's 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 a labor intensive uh, it's it's a labor intensive ingredient to make, and oftentimes uh, people just don't make it well. Yeah, and you'll find a lot of people cutting corners making it with almond milk, which I don't recommend doing. You know, get fresh almonds, blanch your almonds. Uh, you know, do it do it the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've I, since. I've lived in New York. I've worked at bars that have carried his product and have never found a need or a desire to yeah. use anything else. So this is a big plug for Horshot yeah. Works Limited. Look, Folks out there, go yeah. online. I mean, you're you're not the first. Don't Find worry about Orgeat. it. And, and, and look, it's very consistent but, across the board, yeah. people recommending, yeah, uh, Orshot Works. Uh, but, but particularly, um, and the great thing about his product is he just doesn't have one. Um, there, there's also other products that you could buy out there. One comes to mind, uh, is, um, a product I used to use when I lived in the Bay area, uh, small hand foods makes a fantastic orgeat too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jen Coulier, I, I think her name is, uh, 
and uh, she makes a lot of great syrups, uh, but um, uh, also makes a really good orgeat. So if you had to reach uh, buy an orgeat, orgeat works limited or uh, a small hand foods. Mm-hmm. Um, you could buy those both uh, online. If you have to make it, find a good recipe on online. Uh, you know, tinker it, find what works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but or, orgeat, uh, orgeat is uh, in in it's not just an almond syrup, right? Uh, there is uh, orange flower water uh, and sometimes orange flower water and uh, rose water, both. Um, and you know that adds a little bit of floralness that again goes so well with the gin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so this ingredient, you could use uh, uh, your classic planched almond, uh, like Latitude 29 is the product that, that uh, one of the products that we use, but we do a blend. So again, we're blending every single component in this drink, <laughs> we are blending. Wow. Um, uh, or we're doing uh, a blend. So we um, use a two to one ratio of the uh, his uh, toasted orchard, which is, is uh, just toasted almonds uh, instead of just the blanched almonds. Uh, so it adds a little bit more uh, uh, toasted caramelized character. Um, uh, it's almost like, uh, in, in a lot of ways, it's almost like uh, demerara versus just regular simple syrup. Um, so, you, you know, you get the floor brightness of the Latitude 29 uh, as well as the uh, the the roasted toasty notes um, that kind of bring up the bottom end of this drink. Uh, of the uh, toasted or shot. Fantastic stuff. Um, next ingredient for us here in the drink, velvet falernum. Uh, it's one we've covered before, but it doesn't come up too often. Can you remind us what it is as an ingredient and any considerations we should be thinking about? Yeah, so, uh, well, velvet falernum is a, a product that you could find that I recommend if you own a bar if you're a home bartender um you know falernum is another ingredient that is pretty labor intensive so um you know you could buy velvet falernum uh pretty much at any liquor store depending on your market um you know i i i feel like any where in new york city i go i i could pretty much um find it on on a shelf um uh not everybody carries this ingredient in their back bar um uh, but uh, it is uh, widely available, um, and it's you know it, it's it's a decent product. We don't actually use the the uh, the uh, velvet falernum uh, in our uh, build. We actually use a uh, we call it tie falernum. So we do something a little different. And you could use um, there's there's other falernums, you know, falernum number nine, uh, and essentially falernum. Uh, going to the heart of it is a, in all, for all intents and purposes, it's a spiced or jat in a lot of ways. Um, you could have it with or without uh, alcohol as its base spirit. It could be a syrup. Uh, uh, Orjat Works makes a, grand, a fantastic flaring syrup that we use in other ingredients, um, but not in this particular cocktail. And uh, uh, it's essentially a rum-based uh, Caribbean liqueur uh, or syrup uh, that has ginger, uh, lime, lime zest, and almond, and clove, and uh, sometimes other other botanicals. Uh, sometimes cinnamon, uh, allspice. Uh, you know, you could really play with with the botanical build or the the, nice. the spice blend in this ingredient, and uh, that adds a lot of those like baking spice notes to this drink. Um, our particular version, we use, uh, like I said, a uh, what's called a Thai falernum. It's uh, 
a Flarenum that uh, a bud of ours uh, that was uh, helping us out when we were developing this menu, uh, Chris Stanley. Uh, it's his recipe that is um, a rum-based liqueur uh, that in all intents and purposes, it is uh, Flarenum, but you're swapping out all of the uh, uh, your usual suspects for uh, ingredients uh, like uh, lemongrass, coconut. Oh, wow. Uh, what else do we have in there? A little bit of coriander, uh, some, uh, uh, cassia buds and, um, a little bit of Thai chili. Wow. So, the, and, and that, that Thai chili is not very strong. It does add, if you taste it on its own, it, it does have a nice kick and a nice spice to it. Uh, uh, when you put it in this cocktail, um, it's very muted, mm-hmm. um, uh, but it adds just a little something mm-hmm. there. Um, that uh, is is just another dimension to this mm-hmm. drink that I think works beautifully well uh, with all the other components going on here. And allows you to get sneak a little bit of rum in there as well, just a, just a touch <laughs> yep. there, with yep. the base of that. Yep. Yep. Um, so to be clear as well, yeah, I think that's one of the things that, you know, so often you will find um, Velvet Falernum written in a recipe just because, you know, but the, the reminder that Velvet there is kind of the brand, right? Or is it, the, is I mean, it a ve- brand or is it a style uh, of... So vel- well, velvet, velvet velvet refers to the um, uh, I guess the the creaminess of, oh, okay. of that particular flarinum, um, but it's also become like the that brand name exactly right? yeah like the I don't know Kleenex or whatever um, but, or uh, 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 yeah uh, J D flarinum um, uh, and and the base of it is a Barbadian uh, rum and it's. It's a great product. Nice. Um, uh, comes in, I think, at eleven percent ABV. And like I said, um, if you don't feel like making your own, this works great. Yeah. And I've had fantastic uh, Saturns. Uh, the first time I ever had a Saturn was uh, Garrett Richard Saturn at uh, Slowly Surely when we worked together. I think uh, on the first or the second Exotica he did, and he uses JD Flarenum, and it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I know Garrett is definitely a proponent of this one. I know it's a drink he's spent a little bit of time on as well. I think yeah. Garrett might have some thoughts if we uh, maybe we'll tune in. We'll we'll hear from him, our good friend there. All right, you said traditionally at the top of the show. You said traditionally we're talking lemon juice here. Uh, that probably relates more to the gin than the fact that we're creating a a, a tiki drink, right? Where you might go lime. Um, is that your approach? Obviously, fresh is best. Do you have anything to add there, or just in the general? citrus realm um i like to again we're we're blending all of our components <laughs> uh classically use lemon um uh we we when we tinkered around with this we we swapped lemon for lime and we ultimately uh came to the conclusion that we like both of them together uh i i think uh uh lemon is a little bit just more more tart you got uh more of the citric acid uh, the lime, you have citric and you have the, the malic. Uh, it's, it's got, uh, uh, more, um, of a slight bitterness to it. Um, uh, lemon's more tart. And I think the combination of the both is the ultimate, uh, uh, citrus in my opinion. So we just split them right in half. Nice. And, uh, I think it, it works very well. It, you know, isn't always the case, but, uh, in this case, um, I think, uh, it does the job. Uh, that it is charged to do, and I mm-hmm. think it does it great. Great as well that you have, you know, this style of co- that you're able to put this style of cocktail, you know, on your menu that's not fully dependent upon lime. Because I 
Well, last I heard, line prices were still going pretty crazy. Have they have they settled down a little bit now? Or I mean, they're always they're always great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those lime, it's expensive, but hey, some some of them you just need it in there. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, great. Well, you know that's a, a real fantastic deep dive into the ingredients there. Uh, there is going to be a slight bit of repetition here as I ask you to uh, talk us through how you would prepare the drink as if we're in your bar right now, mm-hmm. along with spec, if you're willing to share those things with us. Uh, but yeah, talk us through start to finish as if I had just ordered a, a Saturn from yourself today. So the um, our Saturn build is, uh, if I were to walk you through it at my bar, um, we start with uh, a, a little saline. Uh, so we do five drops of saline, uh, a 25% solution, um, borrowed from Dave Arnold. We got uh, Garrett Richard, who's a huge proponent of mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm, and, yep. and you know, it just it kind of uh, brings things together. And it's a good element, I think, especially uh, in uh, citrus-forward cocktails uh, like this. Uh, it really just opens, opens things up and ties everything together. Uh, then you have your citrus. We do a half-ounce lime, half-ounce lemon. Uh, we have our passion fruit at a quarter ounce. Uh, we have our orgeat blend at three quarter ounce. The typhlarinum a quarter, uh, and then uh, we we batch everything um, in terms of our spirits. Uh, so if we were actually building this, um, uh, we'd be doing a two and a quarter. Uh, the uh, gin is uh, Heyman's Old Tom gin at a half ounce, uh, Bimini at a half ounce, and Perry's Tot. Uh, Navy strength at an ounce and a quarter. Um, and truth be told, we actually have this cocktail on draft at Paradise Lost. Nice. Um, but uh, so, you know, I would actually just be pouring <laughs> a, a four and a quarter or four and a half ounce pour in a cup and 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 putting it into a blender tin. Uh, next comes the ice. Uh, we use eight ounces of crushed ice uh, and our tool of choice. Uh, we have barely any shaken cocktails. You can shake this cocktail, though, uh, if you don't have a spindle blender or Hamilton Beach um, uh, milkshake mixer. Uh, but we use a spindle blender, and uh, so we add uh, eight ounces of crushed ice, uh, and we blend for up to five seconds. Mm-hmm. And uh, Are you doing that by weight or by volume? Oh, good question. Uh, by volume. By volume. And what's that work out to roughly compared to, I know, like a cup? I should know that. Uh, that it, That's a cup. It's a cup? Yeah. Oh, there we go. Happy yeah. accident. Yeah. One, <laughs> one cup. One, one cup, cup of ice. Let's be more precise though. Eight ounce is the right way to go there when we're talking about being precise here. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we blend it for up to five seconds. Um, I like this technique uh for this particular drink um i mean flash blending just in general uh i i i have a dumb joke that um you know using spindle blenders is one of the reasons why uh when you go to a lot of tiki bars uh, you see older folks behind the bar because you don't have to shake anything we're not we're not throwing out our rotator cuffs uh, <laughs> exactly. uh you know uh shaking up drinks all night um uh, you know, so we're Jay just, Popo did sixty years in the business. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, it it really preserves the body, um, nice. but uh, it also uh, does a lot of other things, like it chills and aerates your drink at the same time uh, while uh, diluting it, uh, and um, and a lot of that aeration. Uh, Martin Kate of Smuggler's Cove 
uh, he talks about how it wakes up the citrus. And I, I like that term. Um, and it really does. And this is a very citrus-forward cocktail uh, with a lot of, of, of elements going on, a lot of botanicals going on, a lot of flavors happening here. And so when you flash blend this, mm-hmm. uh, as it's called, uh, you are bringing a lot of those aromatics up to the top. Nice. Um, uh, and uh, I, I think it adds a lot to the uh, to the nose, to the aroma of this cocktail. Moving on to the uh, glassware and, uh, you know, how we're serving it. Yeah, that thing. <laughs> uh, uh, we just, uh, uh, I don't know if you want to call it dirty dump, but yeah, we pour all the ingredients yeah. wholesale, uh, ice and the drink uh, without straining into the glass and then top off with ice. The glass, preferred glass, just a double rocks glass, 10 to 12 ounces. This fits. Nice. Um, I, I, you know, I look at this, the, the original build and I never tried to make that particular uh, recipe uh, and, and it just looks so small. <laughs> when I look at, at, at ours, you know, maybe maybe it's just, you know, uh, modern palate, modern taste or mm-hmm. that we're, you know, what we're charging for this drink. We want to give people, you know, more. Full on value. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, what about garnish? So the original garnish I, was largely aesthetic. <laughs> uh, if you if you look at that, I mean, essentially what he did was he took um, a, a a citrus peel and uh, wrapped it around, or he cut the perimeter of a uh, like a it looks like a lemon wheel, and then he skewers uh, with a cocktail pick a cherry a mar- maraschino cherry in the middle to resemble Saturn. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, <laughs> I I don't think that this cocktail needs uh, any more aromatics honestly like you don't need a twist or um you don't need any uh, mint I mean, or anything like it's it is aromatic enough mm-hmm. uh, uh so it's tiki have fun with it play with it so we do uh <laughs> we uh we like to use a lemon and lime wheel to represent the citrus in there um and we kind of eclipse the lime uh wheel over the lemon wheel uh as well as uh, we use uh, these these fun rosette cocktail fans, um, and uh, then we love our toys. <laughs> so we have these alien toys we put on. <laughs> you know, again, have have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then our serve that we do, and I know uh, that there's probably going to be a lot of people out there uh, 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 frowning upon this. Um, but we we like to live dangerously, but we also um, are very safe in our approach when we do this. Uh, we play a lot with fire. Uh, we have fire on our drinks. Um, we also use dry ice. Nice. And so in this particular cocktail, we thought it would be fun to take a little copita or ramekin uh, and put just a little pellet of dry ice in there. Uh, and then when we serve it to the guest, uh, we pour a little hot water in there has this, you know, fun smoke show, <laughs> um, you know, very theatrical because that, that's the fun thing about these drinks. You know, they're, um, they're, they're great drinks. They're serious drinks. Um, they're serious cocktails. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's, the, the, there's a lot to play with there. And uh, the theater of, of Tiki is one of the things that, that drew me to it because it wasn't this stuffy, uh, you know, mm-hmm. just uh, uh, waistcoat and yeah, exactly, and, exactly. I didn't yeah. want to, but you know, no, uh, no, not that we were judging what people wear, yeah. but you know, we can all imagine what that kind of image represents in yeah. a way, right? Or 
Yeah, people being very dogmatic yeah. about things. Uh, but we, you know, serve it to the guests. We'll serve it to you. Uh, we'll let you take your your photos, your your Instagram, and the the TikToks and all of that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, once the the smoke settles, we'll you know remove it from the glass and let you enjoy. Fantastic! Sounds incredible, right there, Ray. It's about getting close to that time where we're going to finish the show with our five weekly questions. But before we do, I'm going to open the floor here in case you have any final thoughts on the Saturn or anything we've discussed today. Yeah, uh, I think the Saturn deserves its rightful place in in cocktail history in both the, the tiki genre, but also in the gin drinks in general, in uh, classic cocktails. It is a true classic that I think is under rated or maybe um uh you know is is revered in the right circles but just underrepresented um and and lesser known and uh and it's just really it's kind of the perfect drink in a lot of ways uh i think that um this drink to me uh is again it's it's one of my favorites uh i wanted to come on here and talk about a gin drink because gin is another I, I don't want to say it's a love of mine, but I, because I, I, I don't know it probably as well as you do. Um, I'm sure but, you do. But That's I do, I, I do love playing with it. And, mm. um, uh, you know, I do love a good martini. Uh, if I'm in a, uh, I don't know, a dive bar or a bar of questionable uh, uh, <laughs> technique, and I don't feel like a beer, I reach for a gin and tonic as my go-to. Classic. Um, you know, I, I, I love a good gimlet. Um, and... Uh, you know, this drink, uh, is when we're talking about tiki and we're talking about, you know, tiki nerds coming into our bar, uh, and sort of judging us on, uh, certain drinks. This is one of those, really? you know, like in, in the, the, the zeitgeist of, uh, and, <laughs> and in like the, the tiki circles or like, you know, the, the, those big nerds that come in and like, all right, I'm going to judge this bar or, you know, like. The litmus test is the the, 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 yeah. the the Mai Tai. I know a lot of people do this with certain cocktails, like a daiquiri. Daiquiri you know. for sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in a tiki bar, it's usually the Mai Tai. Um, in a lot of ways, because we have this on our menu, it's also our Saturn. Um, and, and that's nice to see that it is getting the respect I that love that. it deserves. Yeah. Uh, considering that that people have only known about this drink for so little time in, in the modern era. Mm. Um, so I'm glad we got to talk about this today. I'm so uh, glad. I really loved and enjoyed, uh, you know, discussing the Saturn and, uh, uh I hope I've inspired uh, people to go out and, and, uh, make one or have one or go to your local tiki bar and, uh, judge them on it. <laughs> there you go. Try those first. <laughs> Maybe come down to Paradise Lost first. You try, you try the Saturn there. This is, this is a drink you guys are standing behind here. You've you got it on the menu. You know, that is planting a stake in the ground. Mm -hmm. Maybe the folks come and they try it and then they go home. And like, look, like all things in this style of drinks, it's, there are things to buy, but at least there's not preparations here, right? It's just a case of finding the ingredients and, mm -hmm. and all these ingredients that we've mentioned today beyond citrus, but I imagine folks have fresh citrus on hand yeah. anyway. Yeah. They're not spoiling anytime soon, right? It's, yeah. This is not like a preparation you have to do. Yeah. Your passion fruit, you're going to be keeping it in the freezer. Yeah, I think... Falernum, I, orgeat, these things are going to keep, especially if you store them correctly. Totally. So this is a really... I want to say it's a pretty accessible cocktail when it comes to home bartending enthusiasts. Agreed. And also, but for bars, if you're putting on a, a, a gin sour drink onto the menu, mm -hmm. 
like we said, move, look past those white ladies. I don't know who's putting a white lady on <laughs> in 2024, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Fantastic. I'm so glad that you came to us with this drink today. Uh, I need to get myself down there. Try that on tap. Please, please do. Um, let's do it though. Let's, let's, let's round off the day. Let's round off the episode here uh, with our five quick hit questions to finish mm-hmm. the show. Beginning with number one. Might be an obvious one. We'll find out. What style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? As much as I love spending the last 30, <laughs> 45 minutes talking about gin, it's absolutely rum. It's rum. Yeah. Fair play. If it were anything else, we uh, we might have some serious questions here for you. Yep. Question number two. What ingredient or tool do you believe to be the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? I think this is the question I was most excited to answer. <laughs> uh, and for the reason of, man, I, I, I had to think about it pretty hard and what ingredient or tool that I feel like I'm constantly always needing that I just don't have around that I should have around more. And that's, uh, uh label tape and, and going, you know, along with that, a Sharpie. Sharpie so, yeah. so yeah, being able to, to have the ability label. So whether it's a label maker or a label tape and a Sharpie. I've done so many events where uh, I forgot uh, at, at least one of those things. And, uh, you know, it made my life difficult. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, behind any bar, even at home, mm-hmm. you know, you got to label shit. Yep. <laughs> it's honestly, there's there's a satisfaction to it as well. Because generally labeling something means signifies uh, the end of one job and moving on to another one, mm-hmm. right? The end of one uh, mm-hmm. mise en place, prep, whatever, yeah. and moving on to the other. So there is a satisfaction to doing yeah. that. And then just, yeah. sticks. Also, you stick stuff in the freezer unlabeled. Yep. You have no reference beyond yeah. looks for what that is. Yeah. Even, you know, even at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's just a way to communicate to others or your future self. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, one thing I'll have to say about that is make sure you cut the label. Don't tear it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tear that tape. Use scissors <laughs> or a knife and, you know, professional we want guys. we want sharp straight edges. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. All right. Question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? Taste your drinks. Always, always, always taste your work. Check your work. Uh, I don't care who you are. Um, You could be the best bartender in the world. We're human. We make mistakes. Um, As long as we catch those mistakes before they hit the guest, uh, I think that's important. Um, So, yeah. uh, uh, And I see a lot of bartenders and um, and and bars uh, that I frequent that just don't do this, and it surprises me. Um, and you know, I like I said, you know, everybody we're we're not infallible. And I've there's so many times where you know I taste something, I was like, oh, I definitely forgot the mm-hmm. I forgot the simple syrup there, <laughs> you know, right? or you forget the citrus, and yeah. you're like, yeah, that's uh, definitely not balanced. <laughs> Um, you know, and, 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 you know, if you're skilled enough, you, you know what you're missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're unsure, dump it and remake it. It's yeah. not worth going out to the guest role. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, great reminder there. All right. Penultimate question today. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? And we're talking about in history or Exactly. Now. It can be, we like to open it up to that. So that, yeah. I would have to say the Molokai bar at the Mai Kai, while during during the 50s, 60s, while uh, uh, Mariano uh, Licodini was at the helm, 
uh, while it was still a big, long surfboard, and it had uh, uh, bar stools that looked like pineapples. Mm-hmm. Share some more info on this bar very briefly for those who might not have heard of it, because I think it's a yeah, it's definitely um, for for the category an icon, but maybe something that not everyone listening is familiar with. Maikai is one of the last. It's currently actually not open. They had a big flood during the pandemic, and uh, and so you know it's an old building. Uh, it first of all, it's Maikai is in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, and it has been around since uh, uh, the 1950s, and uh, it is a one of the last still running, still operational, except for right now at this very moment because mm-hmm. uh, they're under renovation. Uh, one of the the last operational uh, tiki temples or um, uh, faux Polynesian temples uh, in the United States, uh, other than like Tiki Tea. Uh, but it's the polar opposite of Tiki, well, not polar opposite, but opposite Tiki T in its its square footage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's massive, mm-hmm. massive, massive. And if you ever get a chance when it reopens, uh, anybody listening, I highly recommend uh, going to check it out. And so the Molokai Bar, Molokai Bar is, is uh, the the bar that you could sit at. There's still no back bar there. Uh, a lot of these old bars, uh, uh, Mariano uh, Licudini uh, worked for Don the Beachcomber in Chicago. And uh, how they did it is they sort of had a, 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 a factory line situation. Like a kitchen, right? Yeah, in in the back of house. Mm-hmm. So you never saw the bartenders making drinks. And maybe, Crazy. you know, if they you wanted a martini or a, a, an old fashioned, uh, you know, they'd come out and, you know, make that in front of you. But any of their um, their uh, exotics, as they call them, or tropical cocktails, uh, they would make those uh, behind the scenes um, in a huge production. Um, it's and, wild. And, uh, uh, yeah, so this, this bar still operates that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't see any bartenders really making drinks, except for um, sometimes at the, the, the Molokai bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, uh, you go in there; it just feels special. Mm-hmm. You know, you could you could just feel the life of of um, you know in the in the history of that place mm-hmm. uh, when you're there. So yeah, that's that that would be uh, you know circa f- 1950s 60s Molokai <laughs> Bar <laughs> yeah. would be the bar for me. Well, we wish them a speedy renovation and hope things hope things come uh, back online there very soon because yeah, certainly a historic place. Ray, final question for you here today. And I believe it's one that you were telling me beforehand. I forgot that we had had this conversation mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago. Yeah. Um, if you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? Well, I'm at the Molokai bar. Might as well have a Black Magic. Um, I I think I had a, I definitely had a different answer when you asked this, <laughs> when you put this to me uh, prior when we talked before. But um, I have since changed my answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the right place, uh, uh, you know, when, when in uh, Rome or when in the Molokai bar, mm-hmm. um, you know, have a, have a black magic. And tell us about that. Give us the elevator pitch for that drink again for those who might be less familiar with it. Uh, black magic is a Jamaican rum coffee drink. Uh, it is uh, essentially uh, a gargantuan. They serve it in a very large snifter. I think it's a over 20 ounce snifter um, <laughs> with uh, uh, just a, the, the smallest lemon twist on the side. It's it's very austere. At the same time, it's, it's gaudy and ostentatious in the fact that it is served in this very large vessel. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's essentially uh, uh, rum, 
uh, a rum coffee drink uh, with citrus and I and and allspice. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the recipe is, to my knowledge, never been revealed. People have reversed engineering. We have a riff on it um, that I've based on other people's uh, sort of. Uh, idea of that based on on taste but yeah it tastes like a, a rum coffee drink with allspice hey, very popular these days the old coffee drinks yeah anyone looking to put something yeah. on their menu who's listening here as well that you know heading into 2024 we might be getting some espresso martini fatigue so yeah maybe we could draw some inspiration from the old black magic there sounds phenomenal yeah ray thank you so much for joining us today it's been a real pleasure i've had a lot of fun chatting about gin-based tiki drinks passion fruit It's been a blast. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Cocktail College podcast. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seaside who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vine Pair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, editor-in-chief Joanna Sherino, and art director Daniel Greenberg, who designed our killer logo. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. Cocktail College is brought to you today by Tanqueray. Make a spectacular something out of almost anything. Let a Tanqueray cocktail elevate your moment from, oh, nothing fancy, into damn fancy. When sipping a Tanqueray martini negroni or whatever your favorite cocktail is, you can't help but feel damn fancy. It's no mistake the iconic green bottle is shaped like a cocktail shaker because Tanqueray elevates cocktails to create a unique and memorable experience. Head to www.tanqueray.com today to get damn fancy cocktail inspiration from Tanqueray.